This is the Honest CEO Show, hosted by the Honest CEO, Caroline Kennedy. Get ready to be informed, inspired, and motivated by the honest stories from passionate, extraordinary business people who share their ups and downs and their learnings on the journey to building success in business. Welcome. My guest today is Kate Morris, the founder and CEO of adorebeauty.com.au. Australia's first online beauty store, which turns over more than $10 million annually. She launched the business from her garage in 1999 at the age of 21, while still an undergraduate student. In 2015, after 15 years of bootstrapping, adorebeauty.com.au announced an investment by retail giant Woolworths Limited. Kate was awarded the Business Innovation Award for Victoria at the Telstra Business Women's Awards in 2014 and was inducted into the Australian Business Women's Network Hall of Fame in 2015. Congratulations, Kate, on building a highly successful business and your amazing achievements to date. Thanks, Caroline. Now, tell me, how did it all begin? Well, look, it, it really began in my in my garage way back in or oh, nineteen ninety-nine. Um, and I guess it started because I always loved beauty products. That was just my thing. Um, I always loved the way that even if you were having a rubbish day, you could put on some nail polish or slick on some lipstick and um and feel a little bit more confident and a little bit more fabulous. Um but I grew up in Launceston in Tasmania and if anyone's ever been there, it's a lovely town, but the shopping options are a little bit thin on the ground. <laughs> so, so I had to I had to get used to doing without um, for a long time. And this was, of course, in the days before online shopping really existed. Yeah. Um, and then I moved to Melbourne for uni and started a part time job working on the clearance counter in department stores. And that was when I discovered that a lot of women really hated the experience of having to go into a department store to buy products. They found it very intimidating. They found it very disempowering. Um, they'd sort of, when I explained to people what I did, they'd pull a, a bit of a face and, and say, oh, yuck, you know, I, I hate having to go in there and there's these scary women that will pounce on you and <laughs> try and spray you with stuff and, and make you buy things you don't need. And I thought, well, that's really sad. You know, the products are supposed to make you feel confident Better. and fantastic, mm. but the shopping experience is making people feel the opposite. And I thought, well, that's not right. So <laughs> so when um, when online shopping kind of started to come onto my radar, I thought, you know what, that that would be perfect. Someone should start an online beauty store. And I kind of waited for somebody else to do it. And then I thought, well, maybe that someone should be me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that was um, that was kind of when I decided to get started as a very clueless 21-year-old student um, with no money or connections or clues about anything, really. Yeah. And you know what? The key to that is that you saw a problem and you presented a solution to the problem. Very much. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's where that's where a lot of good business ideas come from. And certainly if it's a problem that you feel passionate about, as I did, um, then it's, you know, it's something that you can get excited about. And even if there are challenges at the start, you know, you, your passion and excitement for solving that problem can get you through it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
Now, in 2015, you sold a 25% stake uh, in the company to Woolworths Limited Australia. I did. Yeah. Firstly, congratulations on the investment, uh, particularly from a key player like Woolworths. Yes, yes. It was um, as far as sort of first capital raisings go. It was <laughs> was a fairly big one. Yeah. Um, yeah. It wasn't. It probably wasn't what I was expecting either when we set out to to find um, a strategic partner to take Adore Beauty to the next level. Um, mm. If you'd said Woolworths, I would have said you were barking. But um, yeah, in the end, it, you know, we got introduced to some good people there, and it and it made a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, what did the investment mean to you and your business? Look, that was really the first cash injection of any significance that the business has ever had ever had. So, the initial seed funding was a twelve thousand dollar loan from my boyfriend's dad back in nineteen ninety nine. So that that was it. Like that was that was all we'd really ever had. And so the business had had to grow off of cash flow. Yeah. Um, during all that time, which on a one level is great because it forces you to create a business model that works. You know, you can't afford to burn cash on, you know, heading down the wrong path. You have to get you have to get kind of customer buy-in quite quickly and, and find and find that that sort of product market fit quite quickly. Yeah. Because otherwise you just can't survive. You don't have any cash to, you know get you through so but but it does it did become very limiting after a while and I think the business got to a point where it was like okay well it can stay a small business we were chuffing along at about I don't know maybe three million turnover and and you know and it was fine um but in terms of being able to make the investment needed to get to the next stage of growth I thought I don't think we're going to be able to do it quick enough yeah. um, just through cash flow because sometimes, you know, there were big, big investments that needed to be made in terms of marketing, in terms of software, um, in terms of bringing on new hires kind of before we could afford them, which, you know, there are sort of stages in the business where, where you kind of have to do that. And um, I thought, well, it can either stay a small business and, you know, maybe that's okay, but I don't think that really interests me um <laughs> or we can try and find a partner to you know to kind of come on board and, and bring not just cash but you know some smarts and maybe some other resources as well that can really help us to grow yeah yeah absolutely and I think um whilst you know as you said before Woolworths it's it's, it's it, you wouldn't have traditionally align them with an online beauty or beauty um but certainly you know they are a key player in the market and they do have those resources as you say to really contribute as well don't they well they're the largest online retailer in australia yeah so (laughs) so from that perspective i mean no not not a lot of experience in prestige beauty but i guess it was kind of them acting as more of a more of a venture capital um firm really and and leveraging the assets that they had to um to help a business like ours grow yeah. even though it might not have sort of on the surface seemed like a like a perfect match it, it actually did make a lot of sense yeah and certainly their interest in your business is a credit to what you've achieved as well um so congratulations on that because you know you should really give yourself a pat on the back 
Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Sometimes we forget to do that as women. Oh, we do. We do. It's always <laughs> on to the next thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we finally announced the investment and I think um, everybody was saying to me, oh, that's great. Oh, I hope you're opening the champagne. I said, oh, you've got to be kidding. There's too much work to do now. <laughs> yeah, hit the ground running. No <laughs> <laughs> time. Mm. Now, you won the Business Innovations Award for Victoria at the Telstra Business Women's Awards in 2014 for Foundation. Yep. Tell, mm-hmm. us, tell us about about foundation so foundation was another example I guess of seeing a problem and trying to solve it Um, and the problem that we were having as a retailer with um, foundations and and color cosmetics sort of more generally I guess was that um, it was very difficult to sell them online because customers didn't necessarily know what color they would be it was okay if they were repurchasing and it was a product that they'd bought before um, but you know, if if it was a new product that they hadn't tried before, all they had to choose from really was just a bunch of little squares of beige. You know, it's next to impossible for people to choose the right colour because, you know, if you get the wrong foundation colour, that's not a good thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've experienced that before. <laughs> no, exactly, mm. exactly. Um, and so the problem that we had as a retailer was that, you know, people would phone us every day and say, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I want to buy this new um Clinique Foundation, but I've been using Longcom and I don't know what colour I am in Clinique. And we'd be running around the office trying to sort of rummage up testers for things and trying to trying to match up the colours. And, and we sort of said to ourselves, you know, oh, there should be a there should be a database of like matching foundation colours across brands. You know, that would that would be great. And there wasn't one. And so in the end, I guess we just sort of thought, well, the hell with this, we're going to build it. And um, originally, the plan had been to try and use, you know, those um, paint shade matches. It's called oh, a yeah. spectrometer. We thought, oh, you know, we'll, tr- we'll try and do that. And, we'll, you know, it'll be this, um, this fantastic objective shade matching. But we soon discovered that that really wasn't going to work. For starters, because to get matches across every foundation shade available in the world there's i mean there's over 25,000 different foundation shades oh wow once you factor in, <laughs> once you factor in all of the different brands like it's it's a ridiculous amount we thought oh right how you know how would we ever take on the task of doing so many yeah it seems quite and overwhelming problem, well exactly and and the other thing that we encountered was that um you know, when it comes to foundation shades, it totally depends on the coverage and the finish of the product as to whether or not people feel like it's a match for them. And we thought, well, maybe it it's not as important whether the shades are actually exactly the same. Maybe what's important is that people feel like it's a match. And the solution that we came up with after trawling through a whole bunch of makeup communities and forums is that the way that people were solving this problem for themselves was to say something like, you know, I'm a sand beige in Clinique. Um, has anybody tried this new Bobby Brown foundation? Do you know what shade I would be? And people would seek out other people who would use similar colours to them to try and work out what a match would be. And we mm. thought, well, why can't we create an algorithm that does that? Yeah. Um, on foundation and so that was how we set it up so it uses crowdsourced data um, by people entering in all of the foundation shades that match them and 
So if, you know, let's say you and I wear the same shade in Clinique, but, you know, I've used Bobby Brown and you haven't, yeah. then you probably know that you'll be able to use the same shade as me because we match in, a, in, another, in brand. another brand. Yeah. So that's how it works. Yeah. Um, so it's actually had oh, over 2.8 million people use it. Wow. At foundation.com. Um, it's got over 1.3 million data pairs in there of matching foundation shades. Um, and the most popular countries that um, we receive traffic from are the US, Brazil, France, and South Korea. Wow. All international. Yeah. It really is. It really <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Certainly. Um, again, I think it, it, you know, you've been very proactive in looking at what are the problems faced within the industry and how do we solve them to make it the consumer experience and the customer experience a better one. Yeah, and I think it's a real change of it's a real change of attitude for the beauty industry, which I think has has probably made us seem a little bit disruptive, I guess, to to the traditional players um, because the beauty industry I think for a really long time you know like to treat women like um, like students or like patients you know they needed to be educated they need to be told what to do and we take very much approach an approach that um, the consumer is actually the empowered one yeah. and they should be the ones driving this conversation and making their own decisions and what tools can we provide them that helps them be in charge of their own beauty experience um so that's that sort of that philosophy of empowerment is really underpinning everything that we do and I think that that's quite evident in everything that you do as well and it's so important if you're not disrupting you're not moving forward I mean not every business can disrupt an industry but industries have to evolve and they do evolve that's that's life it's it, you know it's it's we well that's the thing you can either be part of the evolution or you can um be the one that gets steamrolled by it and so I guess we'd sort of like to be at the at the forefront yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> well it means that you've got a sustainable business because you're remaining relevant as people change and as industries change and consumer buying patterns change and as yeah, you say right. you know empowering people that's what they're looking for they're looking to be empowered not dictated yeah, look, to anymore that's that's certainly been what we've what we've encountered and I think that's the thing that really kept me going through the early years where it was quite difficult um, was getting great feedback from customers going this is fantastic you know you've you've improved my life and I mean yeah it's just beauty products okay it's not you know kill for cancer or rocket science but when people say hey you know what I received a parcel from you and I was having a really really terrible week but I got this parcel from you and I absolutely love the products and I feel fantastic today. And that's really, you know, that's really all that we're out to achieve is to, you know, to give people that lift and, and that feeling of confidence. And there's, there's no reason that the beauty industry can't be, you know, a force for positivity rather than making women feel bad about themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you recently expanded to China. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that's that's a very new thing. That's our newest baby um, because we're not happy unless we're biting Growing. off way more than we can chew. <laughs> <laughs> I love that about you. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> um, so 
Yeah, China. Um, the one of the things um, that's blocked a lot of beauty brands and a lot of you know really ethical and high performance beauty brands from entering China is the requirements for animal testing. Okay. Um, and so that meant that Chinese consumers were really limited as to the sorts of products that they can access. They can't necessarily get the best of what's available. And oh, maybe about 18 months ago, um, the Chinese government opened up um, the regulations on cross-border e-commerce, which yep. basically means that in the same way that we take for granted here, that Chinese consumers can now order directly from overseas suppliers, which previously they couldn't, mm-hmm. they just weren't allowed. Um, and we thought, well, that's a fantastic opportunity for us to you know, provide our our um, empowering collection of, of beauty products and, and that kind of service to Chinese consumers and to, um, to open that up for them. So we've opened up on Tmall Global, so it's just a small online store. It's only got about 50 products on it at the moment. Okay. It's very much in test and learn and experiment phase. Yep. Um, I think it's been open for a month. <laughs> Not very long. So, um, yeah, still very early days and we're learning lots about the Chinese market and Chinese consumers and um, they're, they're not um, quite as, what's the word, um, they're not quite as advanced in terms of, you know, the number of products that they use um, as Australian consumers. So it's there's a lot more education around, you know, what different types of products are for. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit of an adventure, so we're, we're having a good time. Mm, great. <laughs> <laughs> now, what what has been the biggest lesson you've learned in business? Now, I know that that's quite broad, but I think we've all got one that really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, my, my absolute number one biggest lesson is that when you stop thinking about the customer, and how you can add value to the customer, that's when bad decisions happen. And I see, I've seen it happen a lot with other businesses. I see, I've seen it happen a couple of times in my business where, you know, you make a decision because it's based on, hey, what resources do we have and how can we deploy them more? Um, you know, it's a thing that sort of seems like a good idea at the time, but if it doesn't come from a place of how can I, you know, continue to reinforce my purpose in terms of how I'm delivering value to the customer, if it doesn't come from that place, it will almost never work. Um, and that's something that that I've noticed in many, many, many areas of business where you see, and, and you, look, you see it all the time, you see massive businesses you know, try something new and completely fail because they they haven't done it they haven't done it in a way that's that's putting the customer first. Um, but yeah, that's I, th- I think that's definitely my biggest one. And I would agree with you one hundred percent. I think that businesses can tend to focus internally as expo- as opposed to externally, which is on the customer, and they yeah. can they can get quite um, caught up in looking at, well, what do we think the customer wants as opposed to asking the actual customer and doing research on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
and uh, they can actually, and I've witnessed it, they can lose relevance as a result yep. Um, yep. because they make assumptions as opposed to actually just asking the oh. question. And look, even worse is when you see businesses um, develop their strategy and drive their strategy based on what their competitors are doing, <laughs> which is just the worst idea ever. I mean, yes, obviously, keep an eye on what everybody else is doing, but in the end, you know, what your competitors do doesn't matter. How happy you make your customers, that's what really matters. Um, and so, yeah, in the end, run your own race and, and forget about what your competitors are doing because it might not be right. Yeah. Um, and put the customer first. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry about anybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you're a mum to a beautiful five-year-old um, little girl and you're about yep. to throw a newborn into the mix. How do yes. you... <laughs> you're a brave woman. <laughs> How do you balance family life with running a high successful and I'm sure very demanding business? Look, Caroline, I think the only way that that happens um, is for is for, you know, my you know, children's dad to be as involved as he is. Yeah. Um, and I think the real the real challenge is for us to be thinking, you know, about about not not so much work life balance, but work life integration. Yeah. And for that to not just be a thing for women, but a thing for the dads as well. Um, and because that's really the only the only way it works. It's not possible for anybody to actually be a full-time parent and also give what they need to give to their career. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to. So I think pretty much, yes, all the all the su successful women I know with families um, are able to manage that because they have partners who are actively involved in the parenting um, because they are smart about, outsourcing the things that they can't add particular value to, for instance, um, you know, I mean, pay the money and get a cleaner. Yes, yeah, I was going to say <laughs> cleaning the house is a prime it's example. Cleaning the house, <laughs> cleaning the house, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not a good use of your time um, when you think, okay, well, my time could either be spent adding value to my business or enjoying my children absolutely and you know not mopping the floor mm -hmm. I mean of, the, of those three things <laughs> I can tell you what, which one's right down the bottom um so you know you can I mean you can have it all but you can't do it all it's kind of my my Motto. philosophy yeah um and so it's it's just a matter of kind of relentlessly prioritizing your time and recognize that you're a resource to your business and you're a resource to your family and how best are you going to spend that resource yeah in the same way as you think about any kind of business decision you know it's <laughs> it's it's the same kind of thing you just think all right well what what's where am I of most value here yeah um you know what do I want to be doing with my time yeah I do not want to be mopping um you know I don't want to be doing laundry so yes Let's see if we can find a way to minimise that. Um, and But, yeah, really to making sure that you have a partner that's prepared to support you in yeah. your career and that means them doing half the parenting. You know, it's not a, it's not a woman's job. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you and I'm fortunate enough to have a husband similar to yours who is a co-parent um, and at times can do a lot more than I do around the yep. home yep. Um, and it's it's a balance, you know, and there are times where I do a lot more around the home but without yep. him um, 
I wouldn't be able to do or, or, or fulfil my career um, yeah. and do what I love to do outside of the home. So it is so important. Um, Definitely. Yeah, to success. What Definitely, it, yeah. Now, what advice do you have for anyone struggling in business? Because a lot of people out there struggle and they think, you know, um, they keep on going, which is great, but a lot of people don't and they just think it's all too hard. So what's your advice there? Look, business is hard. Mm. That's the conclusion that I've come to. Um, I think, I know that I used to think that, you know, everybody that I read about in the newspapers or in the media, um, you know, these people who were held up as success stories, I was thinking, wow, you know, my life does not look like that. My business does not look like that. I must be doing something wrong. Um, one of the things I've learned is that everybody's got their own stresses and their own problems mm. and, you know, what those problems are changes as you go along. <laughs> um, you know, the problems I have now are not the problems that I had when I was working by myself in the garage. Um, but, look, you know, business is hard and I think to a certain degree you have to expect that. Yeah. And if you don't want to be doing something that's hard, then, you know, maybe get a job. Um but if you if you do want to do it and you do want to stick it out, then you, I think you do have to find something, you know, a problem that you're passionate about solving um, because that's what will keep you going through the times when you think, oh, it's too hard, I've got to chuck it in, I can't do it. You know, you need to really have that kind of thing burning in your guts that says, right, I can get up tomorrow and do this again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, I think, yeah, having... Having a business that you're passionate about um, really makes a world of difference. How anybody would would do it if they're just sort of doing it for the money, um, it's kind of the wrong it's kind of the wrong end of the stick. And I think those those people would find it really difficult. Yeah. Um, what other advice do I have? I mean, I, I guess yeah, you know, really keep thinking about your customer and be prepared to challenge your own assumptions about what it is they want. And you know how you're going to give it to them. Um, that's something that you have to do constantly. Yeah. The original idea that you had in your head might not be the right one, and so find some quick and cheap ways to test out your hypotheses to see whether you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third thing I think would be to just, you know, if you're sure that there are customers with a problem that you can solve, um, then don't take no for an answer, you know. Find a way around. I mean, no is kind of just a kicking off point for a conversation as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, you, you've got to find a way through. And if you know that there's that there are customers with this problem and that your solution will solve it, then, you know, you, you've just you've got to find a way. Yeah, persevere. Um, yeah, really. Yeah. Yep. Be creative. Think about, you know, think about different ways to approach it. Um, but, yeah, that you, you certainly can't accept no. Yeah. I absolutely agree with you. And sometimes people get discouraged by the no's, but, you know, yeah. you and get that's them. Hard. That's yeah, life, you know. It, But it does happen. For the amount of no's you get, you're going to get a yes eventually. So just persevere through. That's right. Yeah. And finally... What does the future look like for you? Oh gosh. Well, look, I'm I'm 
to be honest, I'm focused on the immediate future at the moment. I'm about 37 weeks pregnant, so there's <laughs> going to be a newborn imminently. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm just looking forward to that. And, look, I'll, um, I'll continue the, uh, the work-life integration process, I guess, through, <laughs> through that when you have your own business. There's not really a whole lot of maternity leave. No. Figure that out. <laughs> um, but yeah, moving forward, look, I'm still I'm still really passionate about trying to trying to change that shopping experience um, for women, and you know, not just in Australia. I mean, you, we've already talked about we're looking at China, and and we'll look at other markets as well. Um, but really, I consider that so long as anybody still has that cosmetic graveyard under the bathroom sink of <laughs> things that they felt bullied into buying and are not happy with, then I feel like I've still got work to do. So that's that's what I'm going to keep doing is trying to find new ways um, to help everybody get rid of that get rid of that graveyard under the sink and and help everybody feel as I guess empowered and confident about their beauty purchases as I do. Yeah. I love your passion for what you do, and it certainly uh, led you down the right path. Um, and it's attributed to your success, as you said before, you know, when you were saying about anyone struggling in business. Yeah. It, it is hard, but if you're really passionate about what you do, you just push through because you know there's, way to a, press on. Yeah, there's right. a bigger game at play. Yep. Well, thanks so much for your time, Kate, and good luck with your new arrival. Thank you. Um, I wish you all the best. <laughs> and um, I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you.